Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. How dare Draco Malfoy tell Martin Brundle to go away? Lewis has stitched me right up here. He's supposed to be my mate. Midway through the flight, he suddenly decides that they want to put me in the overhead locker in the plane. Everybody in the Bears team found all these mouldy hairs in the bottom of their bag. Felt his hand on me. And I look back and he says, we're going to get this picture, champ. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the TWS podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Hello, my name is Simon Lazeby and I'm a presenter on Sky Sports. You may have seen me present sports such as the F1, international rugby, England cricket and golf from around the world. However, I wanted to come and give you some information about the TWS sports podcast. The TWS Sports Podcast is the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. Each week, they speak to a different sports person and delve deep into their lives, talking about the highs and the lows of their career and what makes them a top athlete in their sport. The TWS Sports Podcast were voted the best sports podcast in the world that promotes social equality. They picked up that honour at the 2021 Sports Podcast Awards. So if you're a sports fan and want to hear these great stories with questions from some amazing young people who promote autism, then the TWS Sports Podcast is the podcast for you. Technowood School is a school for autistic children and young adults, and we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety of different sports. Join us today on the TWS Sports Podcast as a former footballer. He played for teams such as Portsmouth, Bolton and West Ham. Welcome to the podcast, Matt Taylor. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for being on. Before we start, we just wanted to say that if throughout this podcast, if you have any questions for us about anything about our podcast or you have a question about autism, then please ask. We like to answer your questions too. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to start our podcast with some random questions before we start talking about your career. Are you ready? I am. Fire away. Okay. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? This one always stumps our guests. Pretty much. <laughs> it, would be, it would be someone, a manager to do with football. So say Jose Mourinho. Right. Okay. If you could trade lives with anyone for a, for a day, who would it be and why? I'd like to trade lives with Lewis Hamilton. And the reason being is, is I don't drive very fast because I'm not uh, an overly confident driver. And I think I'd like to just have that feeling of what it's like to go around a racetrack in that Formula One car and just that adrenaline rush that you must get. Hmm. Um, right. I shouldn't have you. <clears throat> if you could have any superpower, what would you have and why? It, it would be to take any pain away from any child in the world. That is a really simple question because when my children are ill, uh, it makes me feel uh, very helpless. So if I could remove all pain from all children in the world, that would be my superpower choice. Thank you for answering those questions. Let's try about your career. We want to take you back to the beginning and talk about your childhood. What are your memories of growing up and did you always want to be a footballer? Um, so I've got really happy childhood memories and... Did I always want to be a footballer? At 14, I was released from Oxford, the academy there. And that was a really difficult thing for me to accept at that point, because up to that period of my life, it always all been about football. Uh, I wasn't the best student at school, shall we say. I don't have uh, the ability to hold my attention at times I found tough at school. Therefore, I probably didn't enjoy and or apply myself in the way that I should have. Uh, but memories for me were pretty much playing football and the support I got from my parents during that and my grandparents was massive. So no, very, um, very fond, happy childhood memories. But the majority of my memories, I will say, include a lot of football, but also a lot of love from my parents and from my grandparents and siblings and what have you. So I was very fortunate and a happy childhood. Lenny Lawrence was man- Luton manager at the time you broke into the first team. Do you remember signing your contract with Luton? What was it like? I do. So I remember going as a trialist at 16 
um, being offered what back then was a YTS contract, so an academy contract, if you like. I remember signing that and having a conversation with my dad and saying, I'm not sure if it's what I want to do. And he said to me, look, go and give it a go for two years, see what happens. I think the biggest point or the biggest issue that I had was moving away from home at 16. That I found that really tough. I found that difficult. It wasn't probably something that that I really wanted to do. However, I understood that if I wanted to be successful as a footballer, I had to leave. So I remember signing the first professional contract. There was no negotiation. It was put in front of me. This is the contract you're signing. And it didn't matter. The terms were irrelevant. The fact that that I could class myself as a professional footballer was more important than anything. The monetary value was irrelevant. You got relegated with Luton in your first few seasons as a professional footballer. How did you find that as a young player? Tough. But I also think when you're young, uh, we, we take more risks. You're far more uh, risk adverse the older you get. So... Uh, I remember it was a tough time. It was a tough period for the football club because there was uncertainty around the financial state um, of the club. But I also remember what what it did was it probably gave me one of my best seasons subsequently after that where we got promoted. So, yeah, it was was tough to take. But I think when you're young, you tend to take things more in your stride and just accept it for what it is. Unfortunately, I had that, got relegated um, from the Premier League with Burnley later on in my career and... It was a different feeling that time because I had experienced it before. However, it still very much hurt. Um, you then signed for Portsmouth and Harry Redknapp. What was it like meeting him and how did he sell the dream to you? Because others from the Premier League with West Brom. Yeah, no, it was... So I signed at Portsmouth purely and simply for footballing reasons. There was nothing other than than wanting to play because to that point I played... I think I was 20 and I played 150, 160 games of professional football. So I loved playing every week. And it was a project at Portsmouth. You know, the, the season before I signed, they just about kept their status in, in the championship. So to go there, sign, and also understand and see the other players that were, were signing, you know, guys that I'd only ever watched on the TV before. So from my perspective, it was it was the best decision I've probably made. Um, or made to that point in my career to go and sign for Portsmouth because I had six and a half wonderful years there and huge fond memories. Didn't you interview Harry Redknapp once? Yeah, we did. How was that? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, it was really great chatting to him, to be honest. Yeah, he's a very open, honest guy. And I think that what you see with Harry is he's always happy to give back and from the privileged position that he has obviously been in. So no, he's a good guy. You settled really well at Portsmouth and played some great football with them, for the, for them, not with them, sorry. sorry. What was it about Portsmouth that made you feel so comfortable? Uh, quite simply, the people. So the fans down there are extraordinary in their support for their football club. You go into Portsmouth Town Centre and all you see is kids wearing Portsmouth shirts. And I think that, you know, football being the global brand that it is now, to go into a city centre, especially um, Portsmouth, and just see how fanatical they are about um, their football club. You know, it, it's been through a tough time recently, but just starting to get back on its feet. Um, you know, Portsmouth, for me, I think it was all about the fans. It was all about what we could achieve, but we couldn't achieve it on our own as players. We had to have the supporters with us, and they were, they were brilliant. And he loved the stadium there. I mean, we were playing some of the biggest teams in, in the world there, and to be able to to beat them and uh, to be able to compete with them, I think a huge part of that goes down to the loyalty of the supporters. In the promotion-winning season, Paul Merson was a crucial member of the team. What was it like for you to play with someone of his calibre at an early age, having come from League Two? Uh, Quite surreal, to be quite frank and open and honest with you. It wasn't... um, I'd only ever seen Paul or Merce play on the TV. And obviously he was a huge superstar for England and Arsenal and Villa. And, you know, for, for me to have the opportunity to play with him, I learned a huge amount. But uh, I'll tell you something now, and this is the gospel truth. He just used to say to me, he was that good. He used to say to me, Tails, you run and I will find you. And that was it. And invariably, the ball ended up at my feet from him. So, you know, Paul at that point in his career, I think he probably wasn't enjoying his football until Harry signed him and brought him to Portsmouth. 
and he was instrumental in in making sure the club got to the Premier League and him to captain the way that he did lift the trophy. No, brilliant, and I loved every moment of playing with Mass. You have played with some great players and real characters. Can you talk to us about who were the real jokers in your career and can you remember any funny pranks? I can. Um, so when I was at Luton, uh, I was quite obviously young and inexperienced. We had our captain at the time, Kevin Nichols. He was most definitely the joker, the practical joker. Um, cut people, the end of people's socks off. <laughs> I would say that as you, as I went through my career, you come across more practical jokers but the practical jokers would be hiding your keys you know if one of the players for argument's sake had come in early from training or there was a regular basis your car would be moved out of a spot and you'd have to be searching for it so no we had some uh i played with some very very uh how can i put it uh guys that enjoyed the comedy value of banter mm-hmm. uh, so it was a huge part of of, I think the camaraderie as well within a dressing room mm. that was never taken too personally, it was never taken too far. Did anyone cut triangles into everyone's fo- football shirts? <laughs> uh, there just used to be, uh, so I remember trying to put my pair of socks once and I had no, you pull the socks up and my toes came out the end. So How <laughs> ironic, dude. A while back we had an, an interviewer who mentioned that. Yeah. And people cutting triangles into everybody's yeah. football shirts. Yeah, and then it got to a point where it became uh, so regular, but we never found out who did it. So, yeah, no one owned up to it. But it was quite funny at the time, and it was only socks, so one pair of socks. So invariably it was, unfortunately, the socks that you had bought, that you had worn with, with you to training. And obviously everybody found it rather funny afterwards that... Uh, you put your foot in the sock and then it just comes out the end. Your toes, you see toes wiggling. No, that was uh, it was good fun. Okay. What was it like playing for Harry Redknapp? Uh, good. I think what Harry was exceptional at is managing people. So, yes, of course, he had his technical aspects and he understood the game, but where Harry was excellent is he he was so good at understanding how um, to speak to people, to speak to players, what they needed at a certain time. And, you know, also at the time I played for him, he'd already hugely been successful as a manager anyway. So, um, you know, Harry bought and sold me. So that was six and a half years later. And, uh, you know, I've only got positive things to say about Harry because he, you know, he's a huge part of my memories now when I look back at, at my career. What was the biggest difference from playing in the Championship to the Premier League? Cool. It's a great question. Um, the speed at which the ball moved. So I thought that moving to, so when we got promoted to the Premier League, I thought I was a good player. I thought that I'd cracked it. I had nowhere near cracked it. I remember my first Premier League game coming back from injury away at Birmingham. Uh, and I, honestly, I felt so uh, inadequate. It was ridiculous. It was this, it, it's the speed at which decisions are made in the players' heads. So... The lower down you go in football, invariably, the players have more touches on the ball because it takes them longer to make a decision. Whereas if you watch any game now, if you watch the best midfielders in the world, their heads are always on the swivel, if you like. So they're always checking what's around them. And invariably, they've already made a decision of what they're going to do with the ball before they get it. And that was something that that I had to get better at and do it quickly if I wanted to be a success in the Premier League. So... Fitness-wise, I don't think there was a huge amount of difference. It was the speed of the ball and the speed of the decisions that are made by the players, whether they're receiving the ball or whether they're passing it. Wait, if they're always keep keeping an eye on their feet on the field, why do they keep running into people? <laughs> Probably control on the ball so much. <laughs> yeah, because because the, I, th- I think the answer to that is quite simple, is that there's 21 other players on the pitch or at that time, and you know sometimes you might run into someone... Uh, but as long as it's not your own player you're running into, you'd be all right. <laughs> Are you sure? Yes, as long as you're not running into... A belly ticking off another team is worse. Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, so... they don't have access to your socks and scissors. Well, there you go, exactly. Eh? In 2006, you played a massive role in helping to keep Portsmouth in the Premier League. What are your memories of those final few games? Pressure and dealing with pressure 
and understanding what it means to the supporters of the football club. So my memories aren't necessarily on the pitch. My memories are how it made our supporters feel. Uh, and look, I've I've never won the Premier League, and this is going to sound probably a bit strange, but the feeling we had then was as if we'd achieved the impossible. So by Christmas, we were bottom of the league. We were, if you like, completely cast aside. So, and we went on a, a, a fantastic run of form. We signed, you know, Harry signed some really good players that allowed us to be slightly better on the pitch, but uh, belief grew and we stayed up. And to be able to say, sit here now and say to you that I scored the goal that that maintained our status in the Premier League makes me extremely proud, even more so because we were playing Wigan away and Wigan to Portsmouth is a long way. And we had, I think, six to six and a half thousand of our fans there. Uh, so I remember the celebrations after that. Uh, it was, you know, a fantastic achievement by everybody at the football club. I was actually born that year. <laughs> <laughs> we're very young then. Yeah, I was born that year. Yep. I was probably no more than a few months old, depending on when this was. Yeah, this was in the north of England, so a long way up north. So what was the month and date? The month? Oh, I don't know the month. I'm, I'm guessing the month would have been May. In... I don't know the specific date. May 2006, I would say. Okay, so that means you. this happened before I was born, but on the same uh -huh. year, because I was born Halloween. <laughs> oh, gosh, okay. <laughs> Don't mess with me. I know I know my fair share about spiders and bats and things like that. <laughs> Martin Joel, manager of Spurs, came in for you whilst at Portsmouth and it went to deadline day and didn't happen. What are your memories of that? Uh, it's probably the one... Listen, first of all, I'll give you a bit of background. Uh, everybody in my family were all big Tottenham supporters. So I thought I had the opportunity to go and play for my boyhood club, the team that I supported. It just didn't happen. I was extremely disappointed at the time, but also, you know, lots of football is is a, it's a difficult game at times when you're a player because you don't have probably as much uh, control over decisions as you'd like as a player. So it definitely, it definitely at the time disappointed me. However, it didn't stop me. Um, from doing what I wanted in the game in terms of being successful. So, yeah, I was disappointed, but I would say my father or my dad was far more disappointed than I was because we were massive Tottenham fans and he thought he was going to get the opportunity to watch his son in the Tottenham shirt, but it didn't happen. Who do you two support? Um... I support Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yeah. No comment. Come on, who do you support? I'm not a big football fan, and my and we and my and my TV at home is literally disconnected. <laughs> well, as in, it's not even plugged in. You went to watch Wolves. Oh. Yeah, well, I watched Wolves more than once, so I guess them. Oh, perfect, good. So you're both. Are you this season? What do you think? I, I think they're doing really well this season. Yeah, I'm really chuffed. I wouldn't really know. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, we went went to see Wolves v Crystal Palace, and we were really glad they won. Yeah. Did you enjoy the atmosphere? Was it good? Definitely. Yeah, fantastic. Brilliant. It's a lovely stadium as well. I agree. After leaving Portsmouth, you had an opportunity to join Bolton, Middlesbrough, Sunderland, and Rangers. You went up to meet Roy Keane. Yes, that's right. Who was? Sunderland, Sunderland manager. What was it like and why did you choose Bolton over the other clubs? So I was in a fortunate position where I had more than than one club that, that I had the opportunity to sign for. And the reason I chose Bolton was because of the feeling that I had for, our, for them as a football club at that time. I knew a couple of the players there. Uh, it, was a, it was a big decision also because... You know, I had a young family and we'd, we were at home. We were settled in the house that we live in now, uh, had a good support network around us. And I I think, you know, to make that decision was a difficult one. But it just, I can't I can't describe what it was. It wasn't a, it was a purely a football decision. It was nothing, there was no other motivation for me. And Bolton felt right at that time for me. The manager Gary Megson, uh, who signed me, it, it's everything around it 
and the players and the stadium and the supporters, it was just the right decision for me at that time. It was a difficult decision, don't get me wrong, very, very difficult when uh, you have more than one football club to choose from. But uh, looking back now, I think it was most definitely the right decision to sign for Bolton. And I think that would would have been 2008 or 2009, I think I signed there. So, yeah. How did Roy Keane try to convince you to join Sunderland? Sunderland? I think when, when I went up and I met the manager, uh, just ironically, the captain of Sunderland was uh, a good school friend of mine who I played football with probably from about the age of eight or nine. Uh, and he obviously spoke very highly of the football club. I just, when when I look back at the decision I made and the conversations that I have with both managers, it was purely based on who I felt probably had the better opportunity uh, to be successful in the Premier League. And look, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest as well, Bolton were in the, I think it was the UEFA Cup at the time, and I'd never played in um, that competition. So to have the opportunity to play in that, we played Atletico Madrid, you know, uh, away and at home and to play against players like Fernando Torres, I think Sergio Aguero was playing there and to win that game over two legs. So that, you know, that was a big achievement for me. So to have the opportunity to play that sort of European football most definitely sort of swayed my decision slightly as well. However, I did understand and do understand just how big Sunderland are as a football club and that that did come into it, you know, playing in that wonderful stadium in front of 46, 47,000 fans every week. But I made, in my opinion, the right decision to sign for Bolton. We would like to play a Premier League quiz with you about your career. Are you ready? I am. All of our questions and answers have come from the Premier League website. <laughs> so, so basically, they're, they're going to be right then. So I might not know any of these answers, right? I better... Uh... Have good luck! Yeah. We're you. evil in times like this. <laughs> and we don't show mercy. Indeed. Who has a better minutes per goal ratio in the Premier League? Matt Taylor or D- uh, David Silver? Oh, David Silver, surely. <clears throat> oh, God. The answer is Matt Taylor. Oh, wow, well... I'm gonna. That's my claim to fame now, then, because <laughs> he's an exceptional footballer. Who scored more Premier League goals, Matt Taylor or Roy Keane? I'm gonna go me. I'm gonna back myself there and go me. You're correct. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Although yeah. only by one point. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one point goal. What's the difference? Because <laughs> it says he scored forty and Roy Keane scored thirty-nine. Who has more Premier League assists, Matt Taylor or Craig? Bellamy. Craig Bellamy. You're correct. Yeah. With 31 and you have 24. No offence. <laughs> <laughs> None taken. <laughs> Sometimes if in football you have to leave a club, even when you do not want to, can you talk to us about that, please? And what is it like to be told to leave a club when you may not want to? Um, Tough, especially when... You still got a contract at that club. It happened to me uh, at Bolton, and I didn't want to leave. Family was settled. My wife was eight and a half months pregnant, and being oh, wow. yeah, it was that is so, not a wise time to have to move. No, with three children, and I found that difficult. It was difficult for footballing reasons, but more so for the family, because we were living in the north of England, in the northwest, and we had a fantastic life up there and ended up having to move sort of 200 miles south. So it was it was tough. It was a difficult um, period, but there were, I, say, I would say, there were things behind the scenes that were reasons that were way above um, just football as to why I had to leave. So it was a tough decision, obviously, but then it's a case of you then have to make the right, the right call on the club that you go to. And, Maybe and you broke too many windows, and that's why. <laughs> Mate, what, kicking with my stray balls? Yeah, maybe you broke one too many windows. (laughs) You have scored some amazing goals in your career. One for Portsmouth against Sunderland was a great strike. What was your best goal? Um, Probably the best goal I scored is one that I scored when I was at Luton. We were playing Cambridge. Luton-Cambridge is a bit of a a local derby. 
I remember the ball coming out to me. The, it was a a really wet night where the rain was coming down and I volleyed the ball from about 35 yards, 40 yards into into the goal, over the goalkeeper's head. And I really enjoyed that one. When I look, if I look back now, I've scored goals that probably technically are better, uh, but I just had a great feeling about that. That was my sort of, it was a local derby, sold out and to score that goal. And I think it meant we won the game. So yeah, that that um, definitely meant a lot. But I've been really fortunate, right, to score some to score some good goals. And I think, you know, in football terms, I was willing to shoot from anywhere. Sometimes it went horribly wrong, though. But I'm glad we're only talking about the ones that went in. You have let you left Bolton and joined West Ham and gained promotion to the Premier League. You have gained promotion a number of times with different clubs. Is there a certain promotion that stands out for you? Uh, probably, yeah, and it would be that one with West Ham. And the reason being is, so I've won the league with Portsmouth, I've won the league with Burnley, but we came third that season with West Ham with an exceptional team, but we, we didn't get promoted automatically. Uh, it was the most stressful, but also the most wonderful day when you go to Wembley and when you play in front of 90,000 at that stadium and to win it in the way that we did we probably weren't the best team on the day Blackpool were but we managed to score a goal with about four or five minutes to go to send us to the Premier League so if if you could guarantee me that you're going to win the playoffs I would take that feeling uh, every time over winning the league however winning the league is a huge achievement but no it was a it was a wonderful day fantastic day out at Wembley and to be able to share that with sort of 45,000 West Ham fans was just it's a feeling that is probably undescribable. You were offered another year on your West Ham deal, but turned it down to join Burnley and Sean Dyke. Why did you decide to do that? And what was it like at Burnley? I think, so having played with Sean when I was a younger player, he came on loan to Luton for a period of time. So I knew him, uh, spoke to him. And it was, it was a decision that I think was based upon... Uh, security a contract security of two years as opposed to 12 months and and also the fact that the the part that Sean wanted me to play in that season in the Premier League uh, I had you know a good amount of experience playing in the Premier League I think to that point I had nine or ten seasons playing in that league so you know it, it was a tough decision because again we were settled as a family but we made the the right call for us as a family to go and um, for me to go and play for Burnley for two years. And look, it was difficult because in the first, only played the first four or five games, and then I got injured, had a bad Achilles injury, had to have an operation, so I wasn't able to have as much of an input into that season for Burnley as I wanted, and ultimately ended up getting relegated. However, the following season to win the championship again, especially at that stage in my career, was was a great feeling. How do you re- how do you react to failure and bad things happening to you on the football pitch? What is the most challenging thing you have faced in football? I really just hope I didn't just ask a question that I'm going to have to death, death glare Adam for making me ask. <laughs> I've done that a few times. Yeah, I think, do you know what, right? The older you get, the more I've learned that I think failure is probably the wrong word. And the reason I say that is because, you know, every time something doesn't go the way you want it to. I think it's an opportunity to learn, to not make that mistake again. I mean, I'm sure that you guys have, have made a bad mistake at school or you've you've answered a question wrong. No comment. Yes. So I think, you know, I look at it now that failure on a football pitch is difficult to deal with because you obviously get judged on the decisions that you make. However, I think... It's important to realise why that why you you made those mistakes and then use that as an opportunity to learn to not make them again. That would be my honest answer on that. But at the time, you're not thinking about that when you've given a penalty away or when you've handled the ball or when you've been sent off. It's really difficult to deal with. Do you feel any disappointment that you never played for England because you must have been close to a call-up, especially in your Portsmouth days? Yeah, I feel, look, I'd have loved to have represented my country at full international level. Uh, didn't get the opportunity, was in, you know, one or two sort of provisional squads. 
But I also was aware that the players that I was going up against at the time were playing for the top clubs in the country. You look at Ashley Cole, you know, you look at um, who else? Leighton Baines was was one. Paul Koncheski was one. And there were players that were exceptional. If you look at Wayne Bridge, Wayne Bridge was at Manchester City. Ashley Cole was winning the Premier League numerous times. So I knew that I had to to be at the top of my game or one of those players had to maybe have a um, an injury to get the opportunity. I never got it. I played for the under-21s, extremely proud of that. Uh, but when I look back now, am I disappointed? No, because those players were far better than me. So I didn't deserve the opportunity. Uh, you then joined Northampton Town. What are your memories of that time? Yeah, it was great. So I was I was at a stage in life where I was 34, coming up 35, and I wanted to be closer to home. It's, you know, Northampton's an hour from where we live. And it was a decision that was based upon that, really. Uh, the level of football was uh, not really of paramount importance to me at that time. I just wanted to play football. And I loved my time at Northampton, met some exceptional people there. Uh, didn't obviously go as well as we would have wanted. However, it's you know it's a great football club with you know lots of very good people behind the scenes and um, you know at the time I was there thoroughly enjoyed thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it it was great I think at that age there's less pressure so I wasn't playing football for for um, anything other than my enjoyment at that time obviously still want to win and I was hugely competitive but uh, after what I'd achieved in my career I was more than happy to go and play at Northampton and then followed by by Swindon Town. After two seasons, you joined Swindon and then soon became player coach. How did you find that role? Uh, enjoyable, difficult. Time management is key. That being able to make sure that you're fit enough to play, but also contributing to the coaching side of it. So, yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, Swindon is a club that I, you know, probably wasn't aware um of at the time before I'd signed just how good the fans are, just how much they want to get behind their team. Uh, again, hugely fond memories of, of my time at Swindon. And, and the reason I say that is because it's the people that make the football club at any level, whether that be at the top of the Premier League or whether that be at the bottom of League Two. And, you know, I made a lot of wonderful friends at Swindon. Loved every second of, of playing for, for Swindon and representing them, albeit they probably didn't get the best version of me because I was I was old by then, 36, 37. So, uh, but no, great, great ending to my career to play swimming. Well, first of all, what's a player coach? I mean, so obviously. Okay, so it means that you're, you play at weekends, so you play on a Saturday or a Tuesday, but also you help the manager with the coaching. It's just a, so it's a very difficult, uh, to be a player manager, I think is impossible. But to be a player coach, so you almost have to have a player hat on one side and your coach's hat on the other. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyways. <clears throat> How did your relationship with the players change as you became a player coach? Did you ever want to play yourself or take yourself off in a game? Yes. Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I was aware that probably my body was uh, obviously getting older and I was getting slower. And therefore, the game probably became a bit more difficult. But you're right, that that being able to have a relationship that is uh, both on a friendship but also professional level is difficult when you're a player coach because you do have one foot in both camps, if you like. So it was tough, but I think because of what, I did, what I've done in the game, the players respected me enough for those relationships not to to be tainted in any way. So yeah, it was it took a bit of getting used to because one one moment you've got your players kit on, the next moment you've got your coaching kit on. So it's just kind of tentatively making steps to to what is or what will be the next part of or what I wanted the next part of my career to be, which was coaching. You then joined Spurs as the under 18s coach. How did you find this role and what did you learn? I mean, other than that, teenagers are impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are right. And what did I? So, I never got there as a player to Spurs, but I managed to wear the Spurs kit for two years as coach, right? And that was uh, probably something that that uh, was was a draw to me. 
um, when accepting that role. I learned, what did I learn? I learned that when I walked in there on my first day, I thought I knew about football. I thought I knew about coaching. I didn't. Uh, so I spent two years learning off of some wonderful people around me, the coaches, and, and also made some really good relationships with the players. And when you're able to, um, I think when when you're in a position where you're coaching or teaching young young adults, to be able to see their growth is is really uh, satisfying. And that was for me, that was the case. So even now, you know, I've been and watched quite a few games this season where players that I was coaching two, three years ago are playing, you know, men's professional football now. So to go and watch that and to to understand that you played a small part in their journey was fantastic. But again, the people that you meet, like the things that I learned, the biggest takeaway that I learned was probably the depth and the level of detail that the coaches go into at that level when preparing a team to to face an opposition. So that definitely is something that I've taken with me as I as I move on. And as a Spurs fan, what is your opinion on the current situation at the club? I think it's difficult. I think that, you know, Ryan, who I worked with very closely, is an exceptional coach. He's he's a a young manager who's not afraid to make big decisions. And what he has is the respect of the players. I wish him nothing but the best of luck in moving forwards. I'd like to see some sort of uh, a decision made at the end of the season in the way that the football club's going to move forward. Because one thing I do know is that the supporters want more than they're getting right now. And, you know, I watched Tottenham and I'm sure that, you know, you look at the game at the weekend and the, the margins are so fine between success and failure or between winning and losing. And at the moment, as a football club, we're probably not where we'd want to be, especially from a fan's perspective. That's just me talking as a fan. I would love nothing more than in the next five to 10 years to see Spurs win the Premier League. But I'm sure you'd like to see Wolves win the Premier League. So it's really it's a really difficult thing. What was your biggest weakness as a coach? And what did you try and improve it? Uh, biggest weakness, probably judging others by my own standards. So I think that my standards are, are quite high. And having putting expectation on people, that's probably one of the things that that I need to improve because there's an understanding that that sometimes not everybody will do the things the way that you want and that, you know, you have to sort of give a little bit more in that aspect. Uh, that's one thing that, that I most definitely learned from, um, from being a manager and being a coach. You left Spurs to join Warsaw. Was this your biggest managerial challenge and how did you find it? It was, yeah, it was a big challenge. How did I find it? Uh, lots of it I've thoroughly enjoyed. Some of it obviously is, is very difficult, but that's that's the same when whether you're a manager in League Two or the Premier League. It was, you know, a wonderful experience, something that I most definitely want to do again and that I will do again. It's just now and it goes back to your to a question earlier about how do you deal with failure? And I think that that some people will judge what happened at Walsall quite rightly so that it was a failure. Whereas I don't look at it that way. I look at it as a, as a massive learning experience for me. So when you remove the emotion from what happened, how do you get better? Because I think now, you know, you two will be exactly the same. You want to continually get better and develop as a person as you get older. We all make mistakes. We all make decisions that at time in, in that moment you think are right. But when you look back and you remove the emotion from it, maybe things could be could have been done differently. But uh, yeah, great football club. Uh, still in contact with a lot of people there. I hope that that they go on to be successful in the next you know two or three seasons and give the fans what they deserve, which is you know trying to get out of League Two. We we went to Warsaw to interview two guests. Yeah, we went asked, there twice. Who did you interview? Two of the managers. Well, one think. was the head coach, and the other one was the manager. Well, wasn't one of them named Nick? Michael Flynn. One was Michael Flynn, Flynn and he yeah. was the manager, and then there was the head coach. I'm afraid I forgot his name. I'm sorry. Matt Sadler. We saw him in person as well. Yeah, good guys. Yeah, really good guys. And, you know, it's a shame that what's happened at that football club recently, but, you know, hopefully the, the, the next appointment is the right one for the football club and it gets them moving in the direction they want. What is your biggest? What was your biggest challenge at Warsaw? 
I think just the, the answer that I'm going to give you is probably you're going to think a bit vague, but it's just winning football matches. Now, there's far more detail behind it, but the the job of a football manager or a football coach is to win matches and trying to trying to do that is and trying to work out a formula to do that on a regular basis was probably the biggest challenge. Well, you know, there's there's challenges that you that you go on behind the scenes, but just preparing a team to to win games that's the biggest challenge that I believe any manager faces at any any level, whether that be Pep Guardiola at Manchester City or whether that be you know the next manager um, at Warsaw. The the challenges, while they're different at the top to the bottom of the English football pyramid, they're all very similar. I being a football manager and you've got to win football matches. You got off to a really good start start at Warsaw, but then the team struggled. Looking back now, what went wrong and what would you change if you could do it again? I think that probably so if you if you isolate and you look at the best teams in in any relative league, the they have players that are scoring goals on a regular basis. When we had an exceptional period, an exceptional start at or an exceptional period at Walsall, the the chances that we were creating were being converted. We were still conceding goals, but we were uh, deadly in front of goal. And I think that that changed. Um, we were still creating chances even up until the last game that I was there. We just weren't scoring them. And they're the the really fine margins as as a coach that are difficult to, difficult to control because. I think what what you try and do as a as a football manager or football coach is you try and replicate specific uh, scenarios within your training, but being able to to recreate a try a, a football match moment where it has that real pressure is extremely difficult to do. So you know, if I look back at it now, I think it becomes it's just like how can we condition or how can you condition the players so that when they're in those big moments on a football pitch that instead of 20% of the time they make the right decision, maybe can we up that to 30 or 40% of the time that they make the correct decision and then you try and ultimately try and win a game of football. Uh, What are you up to these days and would you like to become a manager again? So the last 13 months, one of the biggest things that I've done is spent time with my family, spent time with the kids. I've walked the dogs a lot. Uh, which I thoroughly enjoy. I'm sure that you know anyone that's got a, that's got dogs or animals, the the social side of that and the peace that they give you when you walk in them. So I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. I've watched a lot of football. I think one of the biggest things that I've done is looked at myself. So it's take that that self reflection has been important and paramount for me. I.e., how can I be better the next time I get a job? Because that's what I want to do. I want to be a football manager again. I want to be back involved in the game. There's been opportunities for me, but they haven't been right. So therefore, I'm I'm going to make sure that I am the best version of myself and that I'm knowledgeable on the level of football that I go back in at. Because, you know, it's very easy when people are watching you to uh, undertake tasks and to do work. I think what's important is, are you willing to do it when no one's watching? Right, so there's only the only person who's giving you a pat on the back is yourself. And that I've done a lot of research into what it takes to be successful. Uh, first of all, in terms of me, but secondly, in terms of the team, I've visited various uh, different organisations to find out what they do, how they lead, how the decisions that they make impact the players. And and I've also more than anything, I think, had time at home with the family. I had time at home with the kids, watched my children play every sporting uh, event that is going that they're involved in. And and that for me has probably been one of the things that I've missed out on up to this point because I never had the opportunity to do that because I was always working. So yes, I'm ready to go back to work now, but uh, what that looks like at the moment, I don't know. Your former manager, Sam Allardyce, is is looking likely to join Leeds. How do you think he will do and what was he like to work for? Fantastic to work for. Sam is, he treated the players with the utmost respect, but they also knew uh, exactly what was required from them. And I knew exactly what was required from me when I played for him. 
if that does happen, I think it'd be a very good appointment. Sam is exceptional at what he does, and that's winning football matches. He will most definitely go in there and uh, you will see an upturn in form. Obviously, it's never nice to be having a conversation about somebody losing their job. However, it's just unfortunate. It's the industry that, that football is. So, yeah, it would be great to see back, Sam back in the dugout. I know that the players would love him. I know that the the players would warm to the way that he does things. And ultimately, Sam is a serial winner. You look at, I think I was reading something this morning, you know, six out of his eight last jobs have been successful. So, you know, Sam knows what to, what to do, how to get teams to win games of football. So I wish him the best of luck if that does happen. We interviewed him as well, didn't we? <laughs> That's true, yeah. Really. His nickname was Big Sam, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember him. One of the questions were, well, in fact, one of the questions was if we'll ever see him managing again. What, what do you know? We have our answer. What did he, how did he answer that question, though? What did he say? I think he, he just said yes, so what do you know? Brilliant. Before we finish, we would like to play a game of you that we play with all our guests. The game is called Wrong Answers Only. We will ask you a range of questions and you have to give us the wrong answer. Are you ready? Yes, go for it. Come on. Favourite ground you have played at? Goodison Park. Wrong answer only. Goodison Park. Best player you ever played with? Best player I ever played with. Right. So I have to I have to be careful on this one because I don't want to offend anybody because it's wrong answers only. <laughs> Remember, it has to be, it, it, it can be wrong. It doesn't even have to be a person. Yeah. Uh, worst, oh sorry, best player I ever played with. Let's go and mate mine, Richard Hughes. <laughs> Highlight of your career? Wrong answers only. Uh, winning at Wembley. Favourite manager you played for? John Moore. Okay. The best thing about Matt Taylor is? Well, my hair is falling out, so let's go my hair. <laughs> <laughs> Every week on the podcast, we like our guests to ask questions to each other. So we get a guest to ask a question, but they have no idea who the question is going to be for. This week's question comes from our previous guest, who is former Reading, Brentford and Brighton footballer, Nicky Forster. He asked, what is your favourite achievement in your career and what is your goal moving forward? I think the, the, the probably when I look back now, my biggest achievement in my career is having the longevity that I did. So playing for 20 seasons, over 700 games. Uh, that's most definitely because I didn't expect to do that. I just had to find a way to make me selectable. And I did that, so I'm proud of that. Uh, what's for me moving forward? Um, I think trying to get back into, uh, you know, a, a management position at some point within within football. But one of the biggest things for me is that trying to help people. So, you know, coaching young children is, is vitally important to me as well. So it doesn't have to just be on a professional level. You know, I, I do go and help with the grassroots, which gives me huge sort of satisfaction to see younger people engaged, both boys and girls, in, in football. Could you do the same, please? Can you think of a question for our next guest, please? But we aren't going to tell you who the guest is. The question could be anything you want. Anything. It doesn't even have to do anything with sports, as okay. the last so, guy's question probably detailed. My question, my question would be, if you could have one meal and one drink, what would it be and why? Is it a childhood memory that has a feeling or what's your, fav your favourite meal and favourite drink combo? So it's got nothing to do with sport. Uh, what, what would yours be? Good question. <laughs> so mine would be very, very, very simple. My wife does an outstanding lasagna. Garlic bread and lasagna would be if I could have one meal right now with a Diet Coke. That would be very simple to answer that question. But I'll ask you both a question then. What would it be and why for you two? Uh, I thought of mine. Mine's controversial as well because okay. I love pizza. I've grown to like Hawaiian. So I'd have Ooh. that and then with mozzarella sticks and a salad. That's what my mind okay. And to drink? drink? Oh, drink. I'd probably have a Diet Coke. Okay. Um, I guess mine would be noodles because my sister Sam makes lovely noodles and a strawberry lemonade mocktail. Oh, very <laughs> nice. What flavour noodles? Chicken with very a bit good. of spice. Yeah, very good. Mm -hmm. 
I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Matt. We really enjoyed speaking with you, and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you, um, you know, for inviting me on. I think the one thing that I will say is testament to to you guys is the caliber of people that you speak to and how you handle yourself. And, you know, for me, it was a great privilege to be on here today. And I wish you guys in the school nothing but, you know, the best of luck in the future, wherever that looks for both of you two and all the rest of the students at the school. So thank you. So, Alyssa, how did you feel chatting to Matt Taylor? He was a good guy. I really enjoyed it. He had quite a few tales to tell. And who knew we'd bring up some, some, some... some stuff that came up before, like the sh- the socks, the holes in the socks. No, t- so yeah, note to all footballers out there: watch for scissors and socks in the same place. <laughs> yeah, I found him really interesting personally, and I was really grateful that he also mentioned past guests, like also um, Sam Allardyce as well. So really glad to know that. Glad to see he's back in action. Well, Definitely. we did ask him, if, ask him if he was going to be back in action. And well, you know, he is. Thanks once more, everyone, for listening to our podcast. Really appreciate your support, as always. Make sure, if you're not already, to follow us on our social medias, which is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. And yeah, take care, everyone. Peace. See you next time. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine.